My name is Armando. And my name is Rebecca. And you are tuning in to episode one of the World of Trust podcast. Future episodes will be available for you to listen on iTunes, Podbean, and other affiliate podcast services. Thank you for joining us. Today is April 15th, 2020, and we have an excellent conversation coming up. If you're new to the show, we plan to upload at least once a month with fun and engaging legal and professional discussions. Before we begin, we want to thank you for joining us on our very first episode of the Will to Trust podcast. We hope this is the start of a long and fruitful series. We hope to improve on our every episode, so we welcome feedback and suggestions. If you have any topics you would like to recommend or simply want to leave a comment, make sure to visit our website, www.lifelegacypa.com, where you can find additional instructions on how to reach us. Today, we'll be discussing a few things, uh, but first, we want to introduce the host. It's me, Armando. Becky, how are you doing today? Doing pretty great. So we have... Uh, quite a few things to discuss today. This first, the stimulus checks. I know everyone's talking about that. It's a really important thing. Uh, it's it's the way a lot of people are, might be able to pay their rent this month. That's how yeah. intense it's getting. Then we'll talk about collaboration, the virtual workspace. A lot of us are working from home. That's an important uh, feature in our life right now. Uh, it's predominantly for people who've switched over from physical offices to a virtual workspace for the time being. And then we'll talk about something that I just knew about. I just found out about a few minutes ago. Uh, there are considerations of doing professional exams online. Predominantly, the LSAT is uh, considering doing an online uh, exam. So we'll talk more about that as we go down the list. But let's start with that stimulus checks. People are actually receiving the money. Rebecca, I actually had no faith that we, were, we would be seeing this in April. And we're seeing it. People are reporting that they are receiving their checks, direct deposit straight to their account. Uh, people are receiving, there are some issues. We'll talk about the issues, the gaps that people are realizing, especially for students. Uh, but for now, it is a promising note. They are right. receiving money. I think the earliest was Saturday. Uh, and then currently, the government has said that by Wednesday, which is today, 80 million Americans should have received their money. If you haven't received your money, it's okay. There are portals you can go uh, to on the IRS to check where your money is going. I'm unsure if this is up yet, but they're calling it get my payment. There's there's a few portals. I'm actually kind of confused. So we're kind of we're gonna flesh it out. There's a few portals that the IRS has created, but the one that we're gonna focus on is get my payment. On the IRS.gov, they're saying it's a tool in which you can check whether you have received your payment or whether your payment will arrive soon. And they're also saying it's a good way to confirm as to whether your payment was actually delivered. Um, for those who are not on the direct deposit scheme or, or payment plan, uh, there is, you are still available to enroll into direct deposit if you are eligible, just go to get my payment on irs.gov. There you have to have, I think, some tax return information, and you may be able to enroll into direct deposit. Uh, but yeah, it's pro I'm happy to see that this is actually going through. Uh, Rebecca, you wanted to talk, you wanted to bring up something real quick about the issue with people not getting paid, uh, yeah, predominantly I mean, students. Yeah, I I know personally, um, 
my brother falls into that gap age and he was frustrated with just that um, being in that situation where if you can be claimed as a dependent, even if you aren't being claimed, um, you will not get that uh, stimulus money. And even if you are paying a full-time job, paying tuition, it's yeah. it's kind of frustrating to be in that situation. So I, I did not realize that there would be such a big gap of people not receiving that money. Um, yeah, no, no it's it was absolutely. surprising. It, it's kind of bewildering that this group of individuals have just been completely uh, been forgotten. Uh, and it doesn't only include students. It's any individual that freaks. It's any dependent over the age of 16. So to flesh it out, the real, the issue is if you're under the age of 16 and you're most likely a dependent because that's under the age of emancipation. So what ends up happening is you, you can act, your parents get $500 per you, <laughs> per child. You get $500 if your parents filed you as dependent. The problem arises when you're over the age of 16. And this is the curious part. They say minor, but there's two years, two years. that, right. that are kind of missing. So I don't know if they've changed that, but the last I checked, it was 16 and under. So if you're above the age of 16 and you're a dependent, you're not getting a check. And your parents aren't getting a check either. So that's where the real issue is. And if you're, a di if you're disabled, it doesn't matter what age you are, you're not getting a check. Because if you're filed as a dependent, your parents aren't getting a check or your guardian is not getting a check, better said. So it, it's, it's, it's frustrating, I can imagine, for a lot of uh, students, a lot of individuals that are in this predicament. There are some counter arguments, but I, I, I tend to disagree with them. Uh, the counter argument is, well, if you're living under somebody, you know, they're the ones that are footing the bill. Then that, but that's the, actually I did hear someone kind of respond to that when I was mentioning about the gap. And they said, well, I mean, they have been benefiting all year from being a dependent and maybe not paying rent. But I, you can't always. um." I don't know if that's the benefit you were saying, but you can always assume that people are not paying rent or are not are actually benefiting from being a dependent. So absolutely. Well, I would argue a more, I guess, concrete route, which would just be if that's the case, and the parents should be receiving something. Then, if if we're gonna if we're gonna follow that suit, right? If the parents are the ones claiming dependency, then the parents should still receive money as if they were a 16 year old or the 15 year old um why have a cutoff date for 16 so i'm not really sure about that we'll we'll see how how this progresses we we don't know if there'll be a shift in policy maybe they they say okay we'll 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 try and harbor uh these individuals that are in this void uh Personally, I I think that it's it's a it's it's a misstep. Yeah. But there's arguments to be had on both sides. But I right. I think we you most people know where we stand. The, the, I don't know. I, I have very little faith that this will be addressed, but it might. Yeah. I think it's such a massive undertaking that has been going on. And like you were saying earlier, it's kind of impressive that they've been able to 
get at least something going so quickly. I, um, I, I don't know anyone who has gotten it as early as Saturday, but I did know people who got it on Monday. And I have already heard that today, most of my friends and family have already received it. So it is kind of impressive that they're, they have been able to get it out that quickly and have the status um, checker on their website for those who are curious still. And I actually, I'm surprised that there haven't been more mistakes made throughout this process, just because it is such a massive undertaking and it's the government. But I did hear, I don't know if you have heard of it yet, I heard this morning that there was someone who accidentally received $8 million into their account. <laughs> yeah, I heard about him. The, the, so, the man that went to the ATM, is that the one? Yeah, yeah, he went to withdraw and then he got us. Um, well, your current balance is eight million dollars. So. <laughs> I mean, that's one heck of a stimulus. And then he and then he called the bank and the bank was like, "No, no, no, you're 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 mm, you're you're you're, you're, you're still you're, you're still not rich." Yeah. <laughs> but the man was in the man was in good spirit. Uh, he joked after uh, remarking that that that's how it feels to one one minute be a millionaire and the next not be. So. Yeah. <laughs> Funny guy. I, I I think that a lot of us would have probably lost a few hairs on that. Can you imagine going to your ATM and seeing uh, $8 million in your account? Right. I think if it were a smaller amount, <laughs> he may have been a little bit less uh, agreeable. Yeah. You know, something a little bit closer to the actual amount. But when you see $8 million, you, you kind of don't even get your hopes up. <laughs> you already know that that's clearly a mistake, so... I'm sure he just joked about it. I hadn't seen his reaction. The the real question, and it, it kind of progressing down the stimulus check conversation. the The real question that I have is, and I know that it was a like a one trillion dollar deal. Like the legislation, the 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 funding required for it was was extremely expensive. I'd argue unprecedented and and in government and like in, in the history of the United States, I don't think it's ever been done, but is it enough? That's the question is, is $1,200 per person enough to sustain the economy, especially when I, I'm seeing restaurants close. I'm seeing a lot of mom and pop sh just not making it there. There are, there's loans that are being released for small businesses. And I think a lot of them are on the state level. Um, but I don't know. I'm I'm hopeful that maybe this is just just enough to kind of right. kick the economy up, but uh, we'll see. We'll we'll definitely yeah. see, and uh, but hopefully by the next time we release the second podcast, we have either answers or more questions yeah. <laughs> about this. Okay, uh, let's let let's move on to a, a lighter, more fun tone of the conversation. And uh, uh, Rebecca, you and I, we've this is relatively. Not necessarily new to us, but right. because we started uh, this firm about a year ago, um, we had to kind of develop a virtual workspace fast and efficiently. Uh, it's the it's the core of our business. But a lot of people now are are learning about this virtual workspace, and they're and whereas before they would go in to work, they would you know take their car, commute to work, and sit in a cubicle. Now they're finding themselves at home. And uh, thus, the birth of collaboration of virtual workspace. Uh, people are using software like Zoom. They're using 
uh, Google Hangouts to communicate with coworkers. And there's some issues that have come up. Uh, we'll, we'll start this fun uh, kind of like segment with an article. And let me try and let me get let me find it real quick because it was really funny. And it was a Florida case or not a case. It was a Florida article. And uh, it was really, really funny. Okay. I think what it was the hill. Zoom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A circuit court judge in Florida warned attorneys in a letter to cease appearing in prof- in unprofessional settings during remote hearings hosted over Zoom. Uh, he cited some behaviors such as I think it was like <laughs> one male lawyer appeared shirtless and one female attorney appeared still in bed, still under the covers. Oh my god! Oh, I, I, I can't imagine. I can't possibly imagine. Let me let me post this. I'm gonna copy this and post it on Slack so you can so you can get it as well. Right. It really is unbelievable. I think one thing people are not used to virtual um, meetings and they're not used to having. Uh, they're used to phone calls, but they're not used to people actually watching them as they speak. And I've just heard so many stories already. I watched one video that, I mean, this poor person, she, I don't know if she thought she paused the video, but she took her phone, walked across her house, walked into her bathroom put the phone across from her and actually started to go to the bathroom. And her, her um, co-workers were just in shock. And I mean, I don't know how else you would react to that, but it's just one of these things that people need to adjust to having the camera faced to them while they're at home. It's such a weird feeling and such a weird thought, but you need to bring that professionalism with you to your house. Yeah, it's it's I think it's like a disconnect between a, a, staring at a computer with people behind it as opposed to walking into the office. It's a mental thing, I suppose, uh where uh people just feel like they're more I'm not saying like invisible I don't, I don't know. I, I personally, maybe this is something that I've been used to as somebody who's gamed, live streamed before. You, you tend to be a little more conscientious of what you do in front of the camera. But it's very interesting to see, pe- to see people who are not accustomed to it uh, and how they react. But I, it's, it's funny. At least, it, look, at, <laughs> at, at worst... Um, it does, it does chuckle a laugh. I know that there are in, even in my, in, in my own workspace, uh, I have seen some things that I'm like, whoa, um, not to say who, not to say when it's not this firm, but I've seen it in mm-hmm. my household, uh, where I'll look over, I'll glance over the, the screen and like people are like dressed, not even remotely professional. And we don't have to be dressed in suits. We don't have to be dressed like we're going to court, but shirts help. <laughs> a shirt's nice shirts are good yes. you could you yes. could you could I'm, I'm sure a lot of people would be okay with even a t-shirt a graphic right. t-shirt a graphic one it could be a funny ro- rock and roll band t-shirt and i think people would be okay with it um and it's it's bizarre it's it's really bizarre to see how how these can happen um right i don't, I don't I know think people people don't expect you to be 
uh, dressed up fully and um, button downs or wearing ties, but they do expect you. I think it's so crazy to think that people don't think that they need to be wearing a shirt. I, and that's actually, that article is not the first place I heard that. I have heard other people who are taking um, virtual learning classes and they have also seen that students who are there without a shirt and, and they'll just walk around their houses cooking or doing something like that. And I think it's just the lack of, of eye contact or, or thinking that people aren't going to see you. I, like you said, thinking that they're invisible or something, it's just, it's interesting to see how people's minds work. Yeah. Well, let's discuss, uh, I guess we, we can kind of chime in to this conversation from a what have we done to not only improve our attitude and behavior in this virtual space, but also how have we coped with it? It's not easy. Uh, we're not saying it's easy and we're not saying that people who are accustomed to a physical brick and mortar office style setup to just convert over to a, work, a virtual workspace and everything's good. And it, it, there, there is some custom, some habit changing that needs to be done. Uh, for me personally, when it comes to just maintaining a professional attitude is when I sit down, I, I try to know that I am in, and, and this might sound really obvious, but I, I guess it's not if people are taking their their Zoom meetings into the bathroom, but have a, a, a virtual workspace that's kind of like set up and then know where that virtual workspace is in your home and treat that virtual workspace from eight, from whatever time you usually work to whatever time you stop working, treat it as workspace. Uh, it's not time for you to go and, 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 and do things that would otherwise be inappropriate in an office setting. I, I, I thought I would, I thought this would be obvious, but <laughs> it's not. Um, and I, I, for one, I see people kind of like moving around. I think a lot of the ones that I've seen, and, and I, I hate to say it, it's usually on social media that I see this uh, because people are posting, you know, they're posting what they're seeing on their Zooms on social media, which is a whole other different um, conversation to begin with. Don't post your professional Zoom meetings on social media. Mm. We'll talk about that in a sec. But like I said, the physic having a physical setup, don't walk around with your laptop. I think it adds to like, and it's not only you, it's if you're living with a household of kids, maybe a spouse that's also working from home, um, it creates also an issue where you don't know where the camera's pointing. So you could be walking around, you could be perfectly dressed fine, but then out comes your husband or your wife, you know, and, and, and you know, disrobed because they just came out of the shower and you just let the whole Zoom meeting in on that experience. Right. <laughs> so be be conscientious of that. Also know where your where your laptop is pointing if you and I'm assuming it's laptops. Know where your laptop is pointing if you're if I would recommend if you're sitting in a Zoom meeting have a laptop, have your camera facing towards a wall. So like if you're sitting have behind you some sort of wall that you can control what's there. Uh, don't have it open to the back of your house. And it's not only for the purposes of protecting the Zoom meeting from seeing things that it's also the fact that I think anybody else in the house would feel like they're intruding 
if they walk by that area. You're restricting a large portion of the house to that. Now, if you live by yourself, this means absolutely nothing, but then then it's all on you. <laughs> then it's all on you not to take your, your laptop into the bathroom. Uh, right. If you have any tips on that, by all means. Well, I, I'm going to shift just a little bit, but just talking about what we've kind of learned having to do Zoom meetings, I think for me personally, and it's something that as a Hispanic in South Florida, I have a bad habit of tending to um, maybe be too quick to speak and speak over people or overlap. And that's a habit that I've been trying to break anyways. Um, it's something that really isn't a great habit anyways, but I think Zoom has really helped me break that because you cannot really um, talk over someone on Zoom and still hear them. I think in person, you can almost have two conversations going at once, um, but on Zoom or anything online, you really, it's, you have to be very patient, wait for someone to finish their complete thought and um, before you can chime in. And it's also just kind of difficult when you have more than two people um, taking turns speaking. I'd say just be patient and don't give up trying to chime into your conversations. Um, Cause Absolutely. I have seen that too in, in big groups where they're like, okay, I've tried to speak three times. Somebody always beats me to it. Um, it does, it does take a little bit cause it's hard to see who's trying to speak and who's trying to chime in. But um, it's taught me some patience there. I think that's an excellent point. And one of the biggest hurdles that I've heard from people who are transitioning into a virtual workspace and using live stream software like Zoom or Google Hangouts is their inability to really communicate with each other. And it's not that the technology hinders them. It's that you're not in a forum anymore where you can get physical feedback from people. When you're sitting in a room full of individuals Unless you're completely unaware of social norms, you kind of have an understanding of when somebody's about to end a sentence, when somebody expects to get a response, when there is an open floor so people can kind of chime in. It's, it's, a, it's a different feel. When you're handling a conversation over the internet, over such a dry medium, it's, it's very difficult to get these, these feedback. Uh, it's very difficult to get the organic movement of a conversation. So even people who would normally be very, very good at communicating their thoughts in a, in a physical location may have that issue, like you said, where you're talking over others, uh, where maybe a sentence gets delayed and you're trying to respond, but the person hasn't heard you. A lot of this, a lot of this hardware that we use, microphones, and uh, they have what they have, kind of like almost like an like a noise gate. And what that does is if you speak, your microphone will lower itself. Your, I'm sorry, your headphones will understand that your microphone is on and they'll, they'll kind of like coordinate with each other so that the audio doesn't feed back into the conversation. It's, it's a very cool system. And what that ends up doing is you might not hear people talking when you're talking and vice versa. And it causes that confusion. With that said, there are ways to mitigate it. You've brought up great points. Just, you know, just being aware that that's a possibility that you're missing out. You're you're kind of talking over people. That you're you're, you're it, again, 
it's not a person thing. I really think it's just being used to the the, the medium. I my best tip for this would be talk slow. Talk with some sort of indication that you're about to end. So kind of like when you're done, ask a question, uh, say that you're finished. Don't necessarily just kind of leave it hanging because then you're going to have multiple people try and answer. And this is really, really evident when you have multiple like groups of people. If you're having a one-on-one like we are, it's way easier to to just kind of mitigate that by by pausing and waiting for the person to speak. But if you're in a group of people and you're talking and then you stop and then you have uh, Joe and Jin, they try to respond to your question together, then they don't know who's going to then, who, who takes the floor. Another thing, another recommendation that I have is maybe potentially having a person as host. Uh, they can then kind of lead the conversation. So once per- one person talks, then they, they're removed from the floor, quote unquote, and then somebody else comes onto the floor and it's all coordinated by the leader of the chat. Uh, again, it, it comes up, it, it really comes down to the group that you're working with, how close you are to them. I've seen Zoom meetings of up to like 100 people and it just completely boggles me. And I, and I know a lot of them are more like presentation styles where you have one person talking and then you have like a question segment. Uh, but uh, some of them have not been that organized. Some of the Zoom meetings that I've seen have been uh, just pretty much groups of people talking to each other. And I'm not really understanding how they're listening to each other because then you have other groups of people talking to each other and it's like audio all over the place. But for the most part, keep these in mind when you're in a Zoom meeting or Hangouts or any sort of audio live stream that you're partaking for your job. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Because I, I mean, I think we could be here for hours talking about this there's just so much to talk about when it comes to virtual workspaces right no i think you can uh, we've hit those main things that pop up there definitely is lots of little details that you can talk about these live stream platforms but um besides that i mean just be professional be patient um definitely the host was a great tip i think i've i've taken part of one of those um a few of those really large um, Zoom meetings and the ones that have a host who's just on it, muting people who shouldn't uh, be speaking or who have a lot of noise coming into their um, microphones, those are the meetings that go the smoothest. You know, having that host to just, even if they're not the person speaking, just having that person who's ready to mute and unmute people. The mute button is so important on those meetings. Absolutely. And with that said, I just I kind of forgot to bring up that if you are partaking in one of these meetings, be conscientious of what is going through your microphone. And I'm not saying that in like a inappropriate sense. I'm saying like just generally speaking, like if you have kids in the background, um, if you have maybe like another spouse that's in a call on a phone call or they're they're loud you don't have to really effectively tell them to be quiet. You could just mute yourself, but make sure to mute yourself. Um, I've been, I've, I've watched zoom meetings in for my wife, you know, she'll be in a zoom meeting and I'll hear children in the background and there's nothing wrong with that. We're all working in weird circumstances, you know, where we have children at home. We have a lot of family members kind of coming in and out, but, 
be be aware of that. And then just just if you're not talking, just mute yourself, and that's fine. And that way, the person who's talking in the Zoom meeting ha has the ability to talk without having any disturbances or distractions. And again, if if everyone in the in the conversation coordinates and is on the same page, these meetings can go very smoothly, and they could be very effective because instead of after the meeting, you know, you kind of like, and I, I, I don't know if when I used to work in a physical location, I remember after the meetings, I'd be so tired. Like, cause like these meetings, you're sitting in like a chair and for like an hour, you're listening to people, you're, you're getting kind of bored. Um, then after the meeting, you kind of go back to your desk and you have to like reset cause you're now at your desk, not at the, the conference, you know, room. When you're in a zoom call, you could technically be working. I'm I'm not recommending it, but a lot of people I know, they just don't have the time. They'll be listening right. to the Zoom conversation, but they're also filling in, whether it be billable hours, they're doing their billable time, uh, they're answering an email. Um, it, unfortunately, we live in a time and age where multitasking is, it's almost a necessity. It, it's right. just, nobody expects you to be doing just one thing. So it's, it's a reality. Now we do have some recommendations for live stream services. These are not endorsed by us. We do not receive a dime. We are not affiliated with any of these. We are just telling you guys what we've heard, what we've used, and maybe it works for you guys. So zoom, obviously it's one that a lot of companies use. I know that, uh, they've kind of come into the, into the limelight a little bit, uh, with some security issues so we're just going to bring that up. There have been some issues with Zoom pertaining to whether it be password security. They had an issue with default settings. So if you were to jump in, like let's say create a Zoom uh, hangout or not hangout, but a Zoom meeting, let's say you would, the default settings would allow anybody who had the ID for the meeting to jump in. So if anyone in the meeting would then, let's say, copy and paste that ID and send it to their cousin because that meeting was going to be fun to watch. That cousin can then jump in without anybody restricting them. So what Zoom did was that they made the default just be, you know, you're locked out. Like you can't just jump in. You have to like be able to do some other things. I'm not aware of this that much. I haven't really researched it. Um, but if you are more, if you're interested in that, go ahead, type it in, look it up, Zoom. and I'm sure a lot of things are going to pop up. Second one is Google Hangouts. Becky, you and I have been using Google Hangouts for a while now because it's part of our package deal with Google. Um, I'd, I had no problem with Google Hangouts. I mean, it, it ties to all of our services that we have. So it's not bad if you use Google and it's kind of like your, if you use Google's system, Google Hangouts might be a good alternative to Zoom if you're not feeling comfortable with Zoom. And then this is one that I brought in it's not very well known in like the professional industry, but it's a very well-known one in the gaming industry. It's called Discord, and a lot of gamers use it to communicate. There is no uh, video. There is video, but it's very limited. But the audio, uh, you can have like chats. It's almost like it, it's a, it's like Slack, but with audio, and it's really nice. And if anybody wants to try something that's kind of not professional, but very well, very easy to use, very user-friendly. Discord's also one that you can kind of jump in. And I guarantee you, you can be on Discord for however long you want. It's not going to kick you out mm -hmm. because gamers don't believe in anything less than four hours. 
of gameplay. So I promise you that, that I can vouch for Discord. I've been using it for a long time now. Uh, okay, so that kind of ends our discussion on that. If you have any comments that you want to kind of throw at us, any questions at all, feel free to go to our website. You can also go on to our Instagram, which is Life Legacy Law, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, I'm trying to, it's Life Legacy Law, correct? Our Instagram. I, uh, wow. You see, I, crazy how I stopped, name, I stopped I myself. What really throws me off. It is Life Legacy Law. Okay. I think what tends to throw me off with Instagram is that sometimes you have to get creative with those mm-hmm. handles, even if you can have your name on but the handle is Life Legacy Law. You are correct. Okay, there you go. So it's Life Legacy Law. We'll put all of these links in the description, uh, the notes below. But Life Legacy Law on Instagram, you can leave any comments you want on our posts. Uh, we'll have one dedicated post to promoting this podcast. So if you want to leave any questions there, by all means, and we'll try and either respond directly to you, to you, or if we get enough inquiries on one topic, we might actually just talk about it on the next podcast. So make sure to don't, don't feel shy. Just leave a comment. If you want to leave it in a more, you know, private manner, you could always go to our website and we'll have a portal there where you can, it's dedicated just for the podcast inquiries and you'll be able to fill in any questions or comments you have there. Okay. So the final thing that we're going to talk about today, and it's actually something that we have not discussed prior to this conversation. I'm actually really excited to get into this. Um, Becky, do you want to kind of lead the charge on this one? Right. Um, This is the professional exams that are kind of being put either on hold or just some are getting creative. So um, I have a lot of friends that are preparing to take the LSAT, which is the law school entrance exam. And they have announced that they won't be having the April LSAT um, in person, but they are going to start um, giving a remotely proctored online version of the LSAT. And they're calling it LSAT Flex. I haven't looked so much into it, but I was just impressed that so quickly they were able to say, hey, we're going to take this test and give it to you online. LSAT? Flex. LSAT Flex. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking I'm it up right now. I'm very interested what the in this. date was. I think that they said it's going to be in May when they are going to write. So in light of COVID's emergency, mm-hmm. they're introducing this in the second half of May for those who registered for the April test. And they're going to remotely proctor it. Um, I do have one friend. She's ready to take it. I think the Kind of the biggest reason is you've been preparing and studying really hard for this exam. To postpone it can either mean you're going to keep studying really hard and burn out because it's been so many months back to back, or you're going to take that rest, but then you have to start all over again because you forget things. Um, this is These exams are mostly about practice and just mashing as much as you can in your brain and studying yeah. back out. I, I, I don't think... Every I took the LSAT twice, and I'm pretty sure that when I took the exam, like that, you we study for these exams so that the second we take the exam, we have the most possible knowledge in our head, and the second we take the exam, it's like just diminishing knowledge after that. <laughs> like, like right. I, I know that like a week after I took the exam, I had like probably a third of the knowledge I had the day I took it. So I can understand why 
if you're practicing for these exams and then there's a postponement or a cancellation of the exam, uh, it completely sets off your studying schedule and it really may effectively nullify it and just, you just it, it didn't matter. And that can hurt a lot of test takers. I was looking through the frequently asked questions for this, uh, for the LSAT Flex. And one of the questions, and I think all of us are kind of thinking is, how will LSAC ensure the test is secure? I mean, you're, you're taking the exam from your the comfort of, I, we would assume, your own home. Uh, how would they secure it? They state that we know that the security, integrity, and validity of the LSAT are important to candidates and schools. So we are taking many steps to ensure the security of the LSAT Flex. All LSAT Flex test takers will be monitored by live remote proctors via the camera and microphone in the test takers' computers. The video and audio feed will be recorded and further reviewed by human reviewers and artificial intelligence techniques. Ooh, ooh, that last that, that last one's very techy. Yeah, that's bold. It's like they're gonna use AI to know if you're cheating. That's crazy. Yeah, I think that's that was a good question because I know that for the LSAT and for I'm pretty sure the bar was even more intense, but I know for the LSAT we still had to do those passport pictures and attach it to our applications. And we had to bring that in when we were about to take the test. So your pictures had to match your face. So verifying identity more than even just watching you take the test, making sure that the person taking the test is the person that they're claiming to be. That's going to be a big, um, a big one. Absolutely. Have to. So for anybody who wants more information on this, uh, you can go on to LSAC.org forward slash update dash coronavirus dash and dash LSAT forward slash LSAT dot dash flex. If you did not get any of that, <laughs> it will be in the description notes. So that'll be, that's something important, especially if you're listening to this, you're thinking about if you're, you're already studying for the LSAT or you're maybe you're a parent of somebody who's taking it by all means, provide this information to the person who needs it. Although I'm, I'm, I'm confident that if you're studying for the LSAT, you are probably um, you're, this Getting is, pro the, the, yeah, this is like prime information for, for anybody. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and yep. talking about postponement, I know that, um, the Florida bar, not of the, the Florida bar exam, um, for anyone who's not an attorney, that's the exam that you need to take to become an attorney. It's a two day exam that only takes place in Tampa for everyone in Florida. And scheduled for July 28 and 29. And they are still planning to, uh, I mean, as of this morning, when I checked the website, it still said that it's scheduled to be administered July 28 and 29. I know that um, I've already heard some law schools saying that they are fighting to have that postponed to September. I think it would be kind of um, crazy, a little bit unfair to have students um, still take it in July when they're not even able to meet um, for bar prep classes that might be taking place right now in schools. I know that for us, our bar prep course, the one on in-person from our school was super helpful and, and played a really big role in being able to pass that exam. And taking it on Zoom, I just don't know, or online, I don't know if that would be just as effective. So that's a really, it's a, a big decision to make. And I'm, I'm wondering, I'm, I'm going to stay tuned to that. I want to see whether they will postpone it. 
I, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know what to say because on one hand, I'm like the general, you know, like just studying for the bar. I'm like, man, what better time to study for the bar when like you're at home like 70 hours a day. But at the same time, it's not, not everyone has that luxury. That's the problem. Some people have to go to work because they're studying for the bar, but they're also working and they may have even more hours than they normally would have, you know, expected. Um, maybe there, there's some issues coming up health related. Maybe their parents, uh, have issues. So it's, I think the best course of action considering just the overall situation is that they should postpone the bar. That's, I think it would just make more sense. Um, I don't I think what we yeah. were saying before about being postponed, like when you've been studying for it so long, it really does um, take a toll. But I know that um, for the friends that I have that are still in law school or getting prepared for that exam, they were saying how they are still um, having to do now their final um, their final uh, tests and everything. I know that 3L year was not as difficult as the rest of law school, but there's still papers to be turned in and exams to study for. And unless the schools have changed it to pass fail, those are still things that you want to um, do well on and have a good GPA and in order to do, um, to finish strong. Absolutely. So there's a lot of factors like you were saying that can be working. And I think working from home has actually extended a lot of people's hours, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, for those who are in this predicament where you're suffering from a situation where maybe studying for the bar is not is not possible because of the virus, because of the circumstances, uh, be vocal. Let your school know. Let the bar know, because that's the only way that they're going to fully acknowledge the situation. And uh, let's see how this affects the rest of like it's not only like the bar. Let's see how it affects all professions, the CPA, uh, right. all other sort of professional licensing. Uh, the CPA has an exam, I think, once every three months. I think it's like it might be that. All those CPAs listening to this, I'm sorry. Don't 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 murder me for that. But I, I, I that's what I that's what I think it is. So uh, they're probably. I don't know how they're going to shift it, but I think they have enough slots where, the, where postponing it is not an issue. With the bar, it's like, this is like the Super Bowl, right? Like right. July comes around, everyone's like, the, the bar is coming up. The July bar is notorious for not only its amount of test takers, but it's, especially here in Florida, it's it really is a a championship for the law schools to kind of battle it out to see who gets the top the the top passing rate so we'll we'll see how that goes um i don't really have anything else to add there so if if you have anything else to add we can probably start closing up no sweet no nothing else okay well that wraps up the conversation for today thank you for joining us if you want more information on anything we discussed make sure to visit our website www.lifelegacypa.com also make sure to go to our instagram and follow us life legacy law um, if you are a person who's always on Instagram, we highly suggest you kind of tune in and we post a lot. I think like maybe like once or twice a week on our Instagram. It's probably our most used social media account. So go in, join. Uh, we'll be po- we'll be posting this on Podbean and iTunes, and then we'll have a dedicated landing page on our website, lifelegacypa.com, where we will also have a list of the upcoming podcasts. 
And once we have a steady schedule, hopefully we'll start promoting the actual schedule, like what exact day to expect these podcasts to release. So that'll be in the works, guys, if you look through it now. Once you hear this podcast, once you're listening, most of the infrastructure will already be set up. Uh, but just stay tuned for that. Okay. You can find articles, documents, referenced on the show, resources for your planning needs, and much more straight on our website once that landing page is up. Thank you guys for joining. And yeah, we hope to hear from you soon. Bye. Bye.